The message today is V is for victory. V is for victory. And if you'll open your Bible for the third week in a row, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're talking about the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I've enjoyed speaking. I hope you have benefited from our stewardship theme, Is There Not a Cause? And I'm not going to ask you to stand as we customarily do because I'm not going to read an extensive passage of Scripture. I'm going to preach more of a textual message. And the text is from verse 29 where David comes upon the scene and Goliath is coming out and taunting the armies of Israel. The two armies are gathered on opposing sides of a valley on, a, on two mountains And David said to the people there gathered in the uh, Israeli side, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? By now, you've probably marked that already in your Bible. It's a great theme of the Scripture. Is there not a cause? I don't think there's a more inspiring story in all of written literature secular or sacred, than this passage right here. Here is a little shepherd boy, a teenage boy. He has a sling and a staff in his hand. He's going out now to fight a nine-foot-tall giant. That giant has been trained in all types of military conflict. He's covered from head to toe with armor. The Bible, the passage describes it. He's wielding a huge sword in his hand. His spear, according to the text, weighs about 15 to 17 pounds, if you could imagine that. He has a man with him who is bearing his shield, and I don't really know why with all that he has to protect him, but he does have that. And here is little David going out there. Talk about being outnumbered. Talk about having an adversary that on the surface is far, far greater than you. This is David. What was his motive? Was he arrogant? No, I don't think so. I read the Psalms and he certainly doesn't appear to be. Was he overconfident being a little teenage boy going out to fight this great warrior, this trained warrior? No, I don't think so. Saul had promised the man who killed Goliath, that he would have great riches, that he would give him one of his daughters for a wife, and that he would never have to pay taxes again. That's pretty good economic incentive, wasn't it? But I don't believe that's the thing that was motivating and driving David at this point. What was it? He had a cause. Is there not a cause? Now, in the previous two messages, I've used some slides, and I've put them up there because I want you to know what what a cause refers to here. A cause is a matter of great, great importance. A cause is a purpose that one gives himself to. A cause is a deeply held conviction. It's not something you just stand around and talk about. It is something you believe. It is ingrained in your DNA. A cause compels you to action. You just don't talk about it. You have to get involved in it. A cause is greater than ourselves. 
I've used the illustration of Pat Tillman, the NFL player, with a $3.6 million football contract to play in the NFL. And then the war started, and 9-11 happened, and Pat Tillman said, I'm leaving football, and he joined the Army Rangers, and the reason he did, he said, I need something greater than myself to live for. I need a cause greater than myself to live for. Pat Tillman understood what David said right here when he said, is there not a cause? There is a cause. Last week we talked about the cause is the cause of Jesus Christ. And that cause is carried out through two institutions, the first being the church and the second being your family. They're the only, they're two of the three divinely instituted institutions that we have on the earth today. Only three things that God instituted, a family back in the book of Genesis, government in Genesis chapter 9, because men could not govern themselves without a higher authority. And thirdly, he established the church where we are today, what we're doing today. And so the cause of Jesus Christ today is to be carried out through the church and through our families. That's why your family and the church are just all important. They are the cause of Christ in the world today. Now, sadly, there have been times when the government could have been mentioned. But right now, in the time in which we're living, we've pretty much lost the government, I'm afraid, right now. God knows we need to get it back, and hopefully we can. Right now, the government is one of those giants in our lives. It's an adversary to the cause of the Lord. But someday, maybe that will change. We pray so. When I was a little boy going to Sunday school, there was a little song we sung. It was written by an evangelist named Wendell Loveless, who my dad was a friend with. He wrote it back during the war years, the 1940s, when the thoughts of the nation were all focused upon the wars, of course, going on at that time. And he wrote the song for children. And I can remember singing in Sunday school, V is for victory, as we said then. How many of y'all sung that song in Sunday school? Oh, a lot of y'all were back there too. Some of you are as old as I am now. Well, wonderful. V is for victory. It went like this. V is for victory. And we would put our hands up here and say, shout it out. It's a glorious word. V is for victory. It is ours through Christ our Lord. Some days may be dark and drear. In Christ, our way is clear, for we can have victory, victory through Christ our Lord. You know, it's, 19, it's not 1940 anymore, but that song is, is as true as the day that Wendell Loveless penned the words of it, isn't it? We can have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thought I would be met with a hail of amens when I said that. We can have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we believe that today, church? I hope you do. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you four words from the account of David and Goliath today. Four words 
and they all begin with V, and they will lead to this point. V is for victory. I don't want you to forget that today. Number one, first word is vision. Vision. You know I can't preach long without talking about that. And in verse 23, we see where David's vision developed. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And the words he was speaking, of course, was blasphemy and uh, just uh, putting down the armies of Israel. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him, and they were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? To defy Israel is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and make his father's house free, tax-free in Israel. David heard all of that, and he saw what was going on, and God gave him a vision. What do I mean by vision? It was more than just seeing Goliath and the armies. Vision, and you may want to write this down if you've never done so. Use the margin of your Bible there so you won't forget it. Vision is the ability to see a better future. Vision is the ability to see a better future for yourself or for others. And David says, this man is blaspheming the name of my God. This man is defying the armies of God. That's the reality we're in today. But I see something better beyond the reality of today. I see a better tomorrow, a day when we've gotten rid of old Goliath here, and our nation will not be oppressed by these Philistines. And so God gave him the ability to see beyond that Philistine invasion and Goliath's challenge intimidating the people of God here. And so David's calls began by seeing this vision. He understood that if he could remove Goliath, that the Philistine army would vacate the battlefield and they would leave and Israel would be free again. God gave David a vision. I hope he will give you a vision. It all begins with vision, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible is so clear. Where there is no vision, people perish. And Israel was perishing because nobody in that army could see themselves as being able to take out old Goliath here. Vision gives people hope. When people have vision, they develop courage. Now, we want to apply this story spiritually to our lives. And so vision today, what are, as we look out upon the landscape of 2023, as we look out today on our culture and on our country and in our own families and in our church and so on, what is it that we see that could be a better, a better tomorrow? Well, we see first a lot of giants today in America, lots of giants. Dr. Ed Heinsohn was talking about the spiritual giants we face today. Ed Heinsohn was a man. I knew him, and he passed away a few months ago. He was a professor at Liberty for years and a wonderful preacher. And Ed said, these are the giants facing American culture today. Listen to them. First, secularism. That's a giant 
in our country today, spiritually speaking, the teaching that there is no God, secularism, there's no God, then secularism leads to relativism. If there is no God, then there's no basis for truth. And so you determine truth for yourself. You make up your own truth. And that's what people in America have done. They reject God's truth, but then they determine their own truth. And their own truth so often is based upon something other than truth. So you have secularism. There's no God. That leads to relativism. There is, if there's no God, then there's no basis for truth. And then that leads to selfism. And selfism is the idea that I'm all that matters. I'm going to live my life for me. I'm not going to live for anyone else. I'm going to look out for number one, my happiness, my plans, my comfort, my convenience. That's what matters. And because of that today, our families suffer. Boy, I don't know how many times I've had to counsel with one spouse or the other because another one just decided, I'm not happy, I'm out of here. My truth is that I need to make myself happy. And they abandon a family. Because of it, the nation suffers. Patriotism today is declining all over America. You can sense it. All we hear about is how bad America is, isn't it? And so they tell me, for example, that in the military, the Army's having a very, very difficult time meeting their quotas. Nobody wants to serve anymore in such a bad, terrible country as we have been led to believe we are. And the church suffers because of selfism. I'm all that matters. So you have secularism. There's no God. Then if there's no God, then I make up my own truth, relativism. That leads to a selfish way of living, selfism. And that leads to materialism. And Dr. Heinsohn said, when we live for self, then the only thing that we live for is, is material things. And so the more stuff I have, the more happiness I'm going to have. The more stuff I can acquire in life, well, I guess it will make me happy. And then we live a little while with that, and we find out that really doesn't work too well. And the last step there, Dr. Heinsohn said, is mysticism. Mysticism. What is mysticism? A mystic is a person who looks inside for their answers. They depend upon their feelings, their emotions, their intuition, their own reasoning. And they, they look for truth within themselves. And boy, when you begin to look there for the answers of life, you're going to run into, you're going to run into trouble. But if there's no God, then what is life really about? Jesus put a nail in the uh, in, the, in the coffin of materialism when he said, or mysticism rather, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And so it's not uh, you acquiring stuff or looking down inside for the answers of life. You look to me. Now those are the giants that Ed Heinsohn said we're facing today as a culture, but you're not as interested in the culture as you are yourself. So you and I have some personal giants, don't we? And what are the giants that we are facing today? Think of little David there 
facing that great giant Goliath, threatening his nation, threatening his life, threatening everybody around him. Well, we have some threats today too. And, and obviously I'm talking about the spiritual realm. And I think of the giant of fear, the giant of fear. You know, COVID did something that really we haven't gotten over. We may be getting over the bug part of it, the physical part of it, but it did something in our psyche, and it created fear. We would say, you can't go outside. You can't gather in groups. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You can't do this. And Americans were not used to that. We were a free people. And that created a, a spirit of fear in a lot of people. I want to fight that giant. I do not want fear to control my life. I'll tell you that. And then there are other giants we face because we're human. We face the giants of anger, temper. Does anybody here other than me have a hard time sometimes with your temper? Well, I tell you what, that's a giant that some of us have to cope with all of our life, don't we? There's the giant of bitterness, that we get an offense and we can't get it out of our soul. We think about it, it poisons and jaundices our entire life. There's the giant of hatred. And boy, do we not live in a time when forces outside of us are stirring hatred and division. And then there's the giant of lust that we deal with, inordinate desire, a desire to go places that God has said you should not go. There's the giant of covetousness, covetousness, that I am never satisfied. I've got to have more. There's the one giant every one of us deal with, the giant of pride. Now, you see, those are all outside, or those are not outside forces brought to us by the world. Those are within. And fighting those giants, I have found to be an absolute lifelong conflict. You never get to where you can say that giant is dead. The best we can do is, is we chop his head off, and then it's like he resurrects in some of those, isn't it? And so we have these giants that we all face, these problems, these issues of life. Well, it begins with a vision. Am I looking at reality? Am I looking at life as it really is and then seeing the possibility of victory and a better, a better day? The second word that starts with V, I want to show you, is down in verse number 32, and it's the word volunteer, volunteer. So, Victory begins with vision. Then secondly, volunteer. And we go to verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David said, I'm here to volunteer. I'm your servant, Saul. Now go down to verse 34. And David said to Saul again, thy servant... And he refers to his past life of when he was a shepherd, when I kept the sheep. And he refers to himself as a servant. Go to verse 36. Thy servant slew a lion and a bear in the past. So if I can, if I can kill a lion and a bear, can I not kill a giant? 
And over and over, he's referring to himself with what kind of terminology? I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Go to verse 58 at the end of the story here. Saul said to him, whose son are you? And David said, I'm the son of thy servant. His whole vocabulary is full of terminology that, look, I am here to serve the cause that is before us today, thy servant. He had a servant spirit. Another word for that is he was available. God used him to bring about a great victory because he was available. You know, I read an article uh, a few months ago, I guess now. It was in a magazine that I receive. It comes to my desk. And the article was on the death of volunteerism, the death of volunteerism. And it talked about how more and more, particularly nonprofit organizations, but even institutions like the Army and other institutions are having a very, very difficult time because people are more and more reluctant to volunteer. And I thought, well, why is it that people, what is the change in people that they don't, that they no longer will volunteer? for these causes that are so evident. And the whole thing came down to time. The people today say their excuse is, I don't have time. I don't have time. Now, this is Stewardship Month, and during Stewardship Month, we usually talk about what? Time, talent, ability, and treasure, our money, the tithe. Okay, let me talk to you about time for just a moment. The I read a book many, many years ago. I mean, I don't know when I bought the book, probably in the 70s. It's a paperback. It's coming apart. It's dried and just brittle and breaking apart. It was called How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. And the title of it, or the author of it, is a man named Arthur Bennett. Bennett. And he wrote the book in 1910, which means now that book is 112 years old or more. And... That book was one of those books that really almost is a life-changing book for me because I didn't have the same awareness of time that I've had ever since I read that book. Now, I don't mean this in a boastful way, but, boy, that, that book just broke through a barrier in my mind, and I am one time-conscious guy, too much so. I wish I could reverse some of it. I don't waste a lot of time. And... The book is the thing that opened my mind to that. And one of the phrases in that book is, don't ever say you don't have time. You have all the time there is. You have the same amount of time as the President of the United States. So, time. And let me read to you just a little passage from this book. Philosophers have explained space. They have not explained time. Time is the inexplicable raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing is. The supply of time is a daily miracle, an affair genuinely astonishing when you examine it. You wake up in the morning and lo, your purse is magically filled with 24 hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. It is yours. It's the most precious of possessions. 
a highly singular commodity, showered upon you in a manner as singular as the commodity itself. Nobody can take it from you. It's unstealable. No one receives either more or less than you receive. Genius is never rewarded by an extra hour of the day. And there's not any punishment. Waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will, and the supply will never be withheld from you. Moreover, you cannot draw on the future. It's impossible to get in debt to time. You can only waste the present moment. You cannot waste tomorrow. It is kept for you. You cannot waste the next hour. It's kept for you too. You have to live on this 24 hours of daily time. Out of it, you have to spend health and pleasure and money and content and respect and the condition of your soul. Its right use, its most effective use, is a matter of the highest urgency for you and of the most thrilling actuality. All depends on it. Your happiness, the elusive prize that you are all clutching for, my friends, depends on your use of time. The supply of time, though gloriously regular, however, is cruelly restricted. We shall never have any more. We have, and we have always had, all the time there is. It is the realization of this profound and neglected truth that has led me to the minute practical examination of my daily time expenditure. My, what a powerful thought. I have all the time there is. It's how I prioritize and use that time that allows me to serve the Lord. I often refer to and hear you refer to the same thing. We live in such a crazy world today. It's over busy. We live frantically. God did not intend for us to live like we live, I don't believe. It leaves us no time to contemplate, no time to think. I talk to people, and it's obvious they don't even know themselves. When was the last time they ever sat down, a cup of coffee in their hand or a Coke, just sat by themselves for a few moments and got acquainted with self again? When's the last time they really did sit down and think some profound thoughts? But we're so busy going hither and yon. And I particularly think of you, you people in our congregation. My heart goes out to these young families with little children. And so many of us have bought into this idea that to be a good parent, I got I to gotta put my kid in every activity that there is on the earth. I had a man tell me years ago, and I've told you this before, but it's just such a profound thing to me. A man actually said to me, I'm a good dad. I go to all my kids' ball games. His idea of being a good dad was you had to be at every ball game. And I watch people frantic, fatigued. A hollow look out of their eyes because they got their kids in four or five things, and all they're doing is run, 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 run. And, and 
You know what your kids need more than another ball game? Your children need a little time with you to sit down and talk to them and love them and be concerned about every area of their life. We can't, we've let people put a guilt trip on us because, well, you got to have your children and everything and you got to be there for everything, which means you've got to live life for about two or three different people. You can't do it, and you can't do that and be able to say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm ready to serve you today. David had time to volunteer there. There's so many things I could talk about under this heading. I could talk about how much time we waste on social media, couldn't I? Hmm? I'm the only guy here, huh, that feels convicted when I look at my phone. Every now and then there's some crazy screen comes up, and it said, this week your screen time went up, your screen time went down. Did your phone do that? You know what? I say, praise God, it went down 15 minutes this week. That was 15 golden minutes that I had to do something productive with. I'm feeling a coolness. But I don't really care because I'm telling you the truth, am I not, folks? You know why we struggle to get enough people to teach Sunday school? Why we're struggling to get 100 people in the choir? It's because we don't get volunteers. Why do we not get volunteers? Because we don't have time, or so we've convinced ourselves. But we have a lot of time for other things. Just ask the Lord here. Can you say, Lord, I am your servant. I'm ready to volunteer. I want to serve you this year. I've got some time for you. And some of you do a great job of that, by the way. I've got some more under that, but I'm going to skip it and go on. I can tell y'all are just lapping this up too. Go to verse 45 and write another word in there. Verse 45, he was valiant. V-A-L-I-A-N-T, valiant. Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. Imagine a little boy, a shepherd boy, a teenage boy, telling a nine-foot giant clothed in armor that, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. This day the Lord's going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to smite you, and I'm going to take your head off. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's an audacious young man there, isn't it? But this young man was valiant, valiant for the truth. What does it mean to be valiant? It's to show courage. A person who is valiant shows determination in his or her life. And where did the courage come from? It came from back in verse 37. Back there in that pasture, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, and he'll deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. His trust, his faith was in the name of the Lord. And so his past experiences had given him faith, and it had equipped him to face 
the giant. He even comments about his weapons. He talks about the battle is the Lord, and he's going to give it unto me. And he, he talks about, you come to me with all this armor. You've got this big sword that's gleaming in the sun. You've got this spear that I can barely lift. Man, Goliath, you've got the latest technology, I tell you. And I got my little sling, but I got my sling and I've got the Lord. And you know what? I know how to use this thing. I've spent days out there keeping those sheep and I've been practicing. And that thing goes round and round, stone, right there. Never entered my mind before, he said. And he crumples to the ground. And the battle is won because a man had courage. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's talk about the weapons that God has given us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and by that meaning fleshly. They're not humanistic. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God's weapons are mighty weapons. Mighty weapons, spiritual weapons, weapons that if you and I will use them in the power of the Spirit, boy, what they can do. They pull down strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are fortresses in our life, fortresses inhabited by evil. Addictions are an example of a fortress, a stronghold. Habits in our life, things that we depend on in our life. And the power of God, the weapons of God can pull down those strongholds. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, I won't have you turn there necessarily, but pardon me, in Ephesians 6, it talks about putting on the armor of God. It's a familiar passage, you know it. And it says that if we wrap ourselves in truth, stop. Now listen, think with me. Gird ourselves in, with truth, it says there. I mean, wrap yourself in truth. I mean, truth is all over us. And then it says we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the breastplate guards our heart. A righteous heart is a weapon of God. And then it says that we are shod with the gospel of peace, our shoes, so that our footing is sure. We're not going to stumble and fall because our shoes are the gospel. And we have the shield of faith who will protect us against the darts, the arrows of the enemy, Satan himself. And our head has on it a protection, the helmet of salvation. The head has the brain. The head is my ability to think and is protected by my salvation, a genuine salvation experience. God is now in me and with me and on me. I have a sword. The sword is the Word of God. And I'm covered in something that it calls all prayer, meaning all types of prayer and prayer all the time. And I go in the name of the Lord, and my weapons will not fail you, fail me. I am valiant 
for the truth of God. And it leads to what? The last word, victory. Verse 49 in 1 Samuel 17. And David put his hand in the bag. He took out a stone and he slang it. And he smote the Philistine in his forehead and the stone sunk into his head. And he fell upon the ground and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Victory. We sing it all the time. Mike sang it the other night for us as a special song. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. V is for victory. Vision that leads me to volunteer to serve the Lord, that leads me to courage and determination. I'm going to be valiant in the fight. I'll never forsake the field of battle. And that leads me to victory. Now, one thing I want to say about victory before we close, listen to me. Before David could slay a giant, he had to have victory over himself. Stephen Covey, in one of his wonderful books, The Seven Habits of Successful People, Covey said, we have to have personal victory to precede public victory. We need personal victories, internal victories, victory over self before we go and fight Goliath or take on public issues. Victory over self before we can slay our giants. And David had that. You go back to chapter 16, verse 13, we find that the Spirit of God had already come upon him. He's Spirit-filled. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says he's a man after God's own heart. So his heart was right. And the thing I like most about David is what we sung about on holy ground. David had a consciousness of God's presence always with him. A consciousness of God's presence. Psalm 23, and he wrote, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Stop. He was in the valley of the shadow of death when he was standing in front of Goliath, wasn't he? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I'll fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. Thou art with me. And when the Lord is with me, I have nothing to fear. Victory through Jesus is possible today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 in your Bible. Thanks be to God who can give us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bow your head with me, please.